The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Who, who am I before a holy God? So let, let, let me move on from that. Doxa, Doxa, we have a mission statement. Doxa's mission is Doxa Church exists to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. Um, one of the springboards, again, that through which we can disciple and be discipled is through community. We, we read from Acts, and let me read this again, Acts 4, 32 through 35. It says, now the full number of those who were believed were of one heart and soul. And if you want to note that, I'm going back to that. There's my focus. And, I, and I, when I read this passage, I kind of stepped back and I said, God, what, do you, what am I looking for? What are you giving me? What do you want me to talk about? And I saw that one heart and soul, and it, and, it, and it just stopped me. So it says, the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul. And no one said that any of no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought them, brought the proceeds uh, of what was sold and laid at the disciples' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, if you have a home and you want to sell and give it to Doxa, we're cool with that, but I'm not going to go there this morning, okay? Those words, one heart, one heart and one soul. Let me give you a definition of a community. Of, I, I, I started really to struggle when I was putting this together because a lot of times... Um, teaching a passage, the passage gives you everything you need, and then you back it up with scripture elsewhere, and you build upon it, versus just this word community. Um, and I started thinking to myself, what, what is community? What is this? You get one sentence. Somebody says, what is the community of docs about? Define it for me. And here's what I came up with. Um, defining a community in a biblical sense is this. A group of people united by Christ committed to living out their emotional, spiritual, and physical lives in close proximity to each other. So we have a group of people gathered together. They're united by Christ. And the next word is really key. It's we're committed to this. When you're committed to something, you don't take any hostages. We're done. We don't negotiate. We're committed. We're done. It's a decision that was made in advance. This is who we are. So we are committed to living out Three things, emotional, how we think, how we feel, what we believe in our brains. Spiritually, where am I growing, struggling, suffering, wherever I am spiritually and physically. That means I'm going to have physical needs as time goes on. And that if you've got to make a meal for me or if I've got to care for you or if, or if your children need help and you've got issues going on, that I'm going to have a physical presence in your life. So we share these things and the key is in close proximity. Um, that's where you step on each other's toes. It's that close of a proximity. A congregation is not a biblical community. A, a small group is not necessarily a biblical community. And a biblical community is not a clique. I started to think maybe it is a clique, but it's not. Because a clique is exclusive to the membership of that present group, which means it's forbidding of those who want to join in. Let me ask you a question. Where are we with regard to community? Just quick questions. These are kind of like just to, to see where you are. With regard to Christian community as a whole, where do we stand? Do we really live in true community of believers? Or do we gather two times a week and spend some time in worship, fellowship, 
and a meal here and there. See, there's a huge difference between that. There's a huge difference. Do we share with one another the detail of our lives, our struggles, our frustrations, our hopes, our victories and defeats, or do we hold our emotional parts close to our chest for fear of being judged? Are we open when somebody says, how are you doing? I love this. When somebody says, how are you doing? The person says, fine. And the guy responds, well, then tell your face. Okay, because it's, not, it's very apparent for some of us when we say fine, we don't mean fine. Do we hold our emotional parts close to our chest for fear of being judged? Do we share our baggage with each other, or are we more worried about our social standing among our peers and what we hope they will think of us? How do we physically care for each other? Not only that, how do we care for love on and care for each other's children and immediate family? Or is it just too uncomfortable and time-consuming? And I love this. I love little kids, so I can say this. I'm cool with little kids. Um, is it just too uncomfortable and time-consuming? And besides, teething one-year-olds is not my cup of tea. You know, think about it. The teething one-year-olds is drooling on everything. There's a tra trail. Um, you know, will we get over it and care for those around us and for their families? Um, and it may not be little kids. It may be your elderly. My wife, mom is 84 years old. People are loving on her. You know, it's, it's, it's fantastic when you see people that say, I, I want to do something for her, right? I'm vested in that. Are we engaged in ministering to each other and are we praying for each other continuously or is there just too little time for this? Do we know where our fellow dachshunds are? I love that. I've changed dachshunds from now on. It's great. If you're new to dachshunds, don't worry. Just, just, just step over that, okay? But if our church is dachshunds, that must make us dachshunds, right? Okay, so we'll live with that. It's okay. Um, do we know where our fellow dachshunds where in our fellow dachshunds' lives they need prayer? Or are we clueless to our brothers and sisters' needs? That's a, that's a hard thing. If you walk up to somebody, you say, I know this person, I'm close to them, but I don't have a clue where they're struggling. It says a lot about where our relationships are with those people. Um, do we share with each other our prayer needs? Or are we too prideful? Somebody says, How did you need prayer? No, I'm doing fine. Call them a liar after that. Just to me, call them a liar and move forward. How many of us today, this morning, would say, I absolutely, absolutely need no prayer from you today in my life? You want to go there? I mean, it kind of gets to the point real quick. Let me ask you a couple <laughs> questions. Why do we neglect community? If we fail as a church to form a biblical community, there's only a couple reasons for it. Um, the first, we're lazy. And, and I'm going to say this in our Protestant American churches, laziness is rampant. Because I work real hard nine to five, and, and I come home and I'm tired. You know, think about this. Can you work nine to four? Or nine to three and make a little less money this year? Has that ever dawned on us to have a little less so I can have time for you? Just a thought. Just a thought. We're lazy, I'd rather do something. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and I'm too busy. Um, and I guess my question is, what's that other busyness fill, filling up with our time? Um, the second reason is a big deal. We fail to grasp the importance of how critical it is to be a part of a community. God puts on show, showcase his people through community. 
know, if, if you want to join a group of others, go join the ELPS or the BFW. There you are know, lots of organizations out there to display what you value and what you believe. But the big deal for us is it doesn't even show what we value and believe. It shows the glory of God. It says that the world should look at us as a group of individuals and they should say, this isn't a social fraternity. This is about a holy God. This is about a community of people who get over themselves to express a love for others that makes no sense to this world. That's what community should be declaring to the balance of this world. They should look at it and say either A, that makes no sense, or B, I long to be a part of this. That there's something within me where I'll receive a sense of value and of purpose. That, that, that there's a sense of the divine that touches upon this group of people. And the world should catch it. They're not going to buy it. They might not want it. They may not believe it. But they're going to look at us and say there's something going on here that makes no sense. And our duty as believers is to form this community that will be the showcase to display to the world who God is. So if we don't, if we don't understand that's our duty as believers to, to showcase that, um, we've missed it. Um, the next, the community isn't made a priority. People have all kinds of excuses for why they're not going to be in community. You know, I figured this out. If I schedule something and I barricade that in my schedule, I always make that commitment. Always, not kind of, sort of, not most of the time. When I barricade something into my schedule and I commit to it, it gets done. You know what a priority is? A priority is when you push something to the front of the line and it's the first thing that gets addressed. So if my priority is making money, I'll tell you what, my work gets pushed to the front of the line. My priority is my family, my family gets pushed. My priority is my leisure or some hobby or some avocation, it gets pushed to the front of the line. I love this statement that a man will do what a man wants to do. See, if I said I want to go to Mexico three times a year, I could figure it out. We quit going out to dinner. Um, you know, we could make sacrifices. I could quit tithing. We, I can make that happen. <laughs> we could get a smaller house and downsize. I could make that happen. I look at people, and every once in a while I'll ask myself, how do they afford to do that? You know how they afford to? They just, to the exclusion of all other things, that's where they put their money. It's easy. Community needs to be made a priority. And, and here's the catch. A priority carries a price. There's a cost with making anything a priority. Because it says, I will neglect those things that fall in behind it. So, if I make community a priority, guess what? Some other social engagement or some other activity will, will be, to, it'll be excluded, and it's very simple. Making it a priority means that I'm going to make certain that the time set aside for us to gather and to be a part of each other's lives is made a priority. Um, we, in our culture today, and I'll say this, and again, I just make observations watching, we forfeit quality, relate, and I'm going to say this in the context of the church, we forfeit quality relationships for quantity of relationships. We forfeit quality of relationships for quantity of relationships. So I can know people and have interaction with a lot more people, and I can spread myself out. I lose the significance of that quality in relationships. And again, that, that's kind of conflicting, but I think to make a true biblical community happen, there has to be a quality in that relationship. It will have to sacrifice other relationships. 
Um, the fourth reason for not being involved in a community is probably the most legitimate and most disheartening. Um, it's when people have been burned by Christians and they refuse to expose themselves to being burned again. That's horrifying, but it's the truth. If we don't own that, if we don't say that, acknowledge it, we're liars. Um, people, and I, and I have heard, an, in this past year, I heard of a guy that, that went and confessed a fall and they dragged him out and shot him and left him in the curb. The person was literally asked to, this person was a part of a Christian institution, and he said, I fed, and he wasn't in a leadership position, by the way. He was involved in, in attending a Christian institution, and, they, and he went and confessed this. And 24 hours later, they said, pack your bags. And, and I just, I hurt. I, and this was a story that's happened years ago, but I was angry. I was angry when I heard. Because where does that poor guy go then? He gets real and gets dragged to the curb and kicked by those who claim Christ as a, as a, as a fellowship. Um, if you're on that fence, or maybe you're somebody who will be listening to this on, on recording, um, the difficulty here is that this is going to happen. I'm going to own this now and say this is going to happen. If, if we're in a body of believers, the time will come where one of us will have a bonehead day and we'll make some stupid statement, or we'll repeat something that shouldn't have been said, or we'll drop the ball and it will land on your foot. And, and the truth of the matter is that we are all fallen and sinful at the core. And if you look close at the core, it's rotten and putrefying in my view. Um, and the difficulty here is that I, I'm going to talk a little bit more about how do we get around that, um, but this falls right into the next category I want to go into, and this is why... Um, why we suffer without community. Um, and that person who's been hurt has to now step back and balance. Say do the pros and cons that way. Uh, getting back involved in community versus not being in community. If we're not a part of a community, who is there, whether a new or old believer, to lift us up, to encourage us, and to pray for us? Who is there to hold us accountable? Who is there to refine us? Who is there to teach and lead by example? You see, if we're not in a community, you don't, you don't get to see really in the trench how this guy lives his life, what his priorities are, and how he makes sacrifices to engage people for the cause of Christ. You have to be in a part of community to actually witness that taking place. And when you witness it, it actually serves as a template for us to follow, to be a part of that, to, to say, I can do what Randy just did. I can just act like him, and I will grow spiritually. Um, how does one even find another to disciple them uh, without getting to know people? And again, I would say that you don't receive this in church on Sunday morning. I would submit that spiritual growth outside of a biblical community, um, spiritual growth outside of biblical community is a multitude of times more difficult than from within a community. Unless your name is John the Baptist and you like locusts for dinner. Okay, that's the exception. I couldn't find anyone else there. I just said, well, you know, well, John did. You know, John could grow without the community. The truth of the matter is that's not even accurate because John's, John had his disciples that had formed a part of the community with him. So, um, biblically, there are very few examples of what I call Rambo-like Christians. We can't do it on our own. Um, Matthew 8, 18, 20 says this, For where two or more are gathered in my name, I... There I am among them. There I am among them. Um, we started what time? I lost it. Was it 10? 10.30. Started at 10.30, right? No, no, no. My, my teaching. I started what time? 
good to go. You're good. Give me, give me a close time, Dale and Randy, you guys. I, I lost it. I didn't write it down. Let me give you rules for community. Um, oh, is that counting down? Oh, wow. I need to get that. We're bringing along slowly. <laughs> Let me give you rules for community. <laughs> Excuse me. Breathe it in. Took my breath away, this beautiful clock ticking down now. <clears throat> rules for community. My first rule for, for community is my Planet Fitness rule. What's the rule of Planet Fitness? No judgments, that's right. So if you come here in spiritual spandex and you can't do that in public, we, we, got, we got to take you as you are. Um, anyway, you know, if you go to Planet Fitness, they take that serious. When you go, you go, wow, no, no, ju no, 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 no judgments. And, and I think for us as a body of believers, when you come here, you got to know that. And again, if I know really where I stand before a holy God in terms of how sinful and rotten at the core I am, it's hard for me to throw a stone at you. And if you do something stupid, I should get it that in potential, I'm eligible to do the same thing. Think about that. Somebody comes here and they're in a mess. You've got, the, you've got everything you need to go and do the same things to create that mess. That's called sinful human nature. So, do we, and, and I would say this plan of fitness rules outside the context of a one-on-one -on -one relationship where there's biblical chastisement. If somebody comes to become a part of their communi community, they got to know, no judgments. You're a part of this, and we're thrilled you're here. I have another rule called the dinner table rule, that if someone is not at the table, and I'll give you exceptional circumstances here, we refrain from speaking about them in a manner we would not speak of them as if they were sitting at the table. I always say, when I get up from the table, I'm no longer fair game, okay? And really, we gotta live according to that. I, I think that's something we have to be conscious of. Um, and here's why. Before I air somebody's dirty laundry, ask yourself this. Why am I repeating this information? What's the motive? Am I sitting there simply exalting myself at this poor person's expense? And secondly, what will the recipient of this information do with it? And that will cut it down real quick. Because if that person's not going to utilize it to spend time petitioning God and prayerfully bringing that, that person, praying for them diligently, that information doesn't need to be repeated. Um, and, I, and I think these are things that will mitigate the potential for hurt among us. So if they're not at the table, they're not fair game. Let me give you the giver's get rule. Did you get that? The giver's get rule. If I have an attitude... This may be out of context, but every once in a while I'll hear somebody say, I'm shopping churches. And I think what they might be saying is that I'm just seeing if I fit comfortably somewhere else. But there's a part of me that thinks I should shop. If I use the term I'm shopping churches, it should be to see which church has the greatest need for me to care and minister and serve within that body. See, I don't come to church anymore to get I come to give. And when you give, you get. It's the spiritual paradox. When you, when you in turn step forward to give it away, guess what happens? You receive threefold more. And I think if we preoccupy ourselves, if that's a, a viewpoint within the community groups at Doxa, that we're here to give, not to get. To see how can I best serve? How can I best care? How can I best 
see where this person is, to minister to them, to lift them up, to encourage them. Um, that, that, that mindset, that mindset will prove incredibly fruitful. Um, I'm going to give you the next rule. It's called the big boy rule. Um, has anyone ever just told you as a believer to grow up or put a pair of pants on? And I don't mean that in a derogatory manner, but there's often times that we are going to be fatigued, we will be having a bad day, we may be anxious. There may be underlying real issues going on, and something's going to come out of my mouth that's hurtful. Ask yourself this, of those people you know, when they're spiritually totally healthy, tuned in, prayed up, fed up, nourished, equipped, how often do those people say something stupid or hurtful to you? My answer would be almost never. Rare. I mean really rare. So if you turn that inside out, it says that I'm going to be predisposed to say dumb things that could be hurtful and that you could take offense to when I'm doing poor, when I'm frustrated, when I'm, most of the time I'll say this when we're fearful, when we're full of fear and we snap. Something's going on and we have, it's, it's just there's that inside that snaps. Um, and something comes out. And I think for some of us to know that if something is... Um, Hurtful that said, maybe we can just step over that to say they're having a bad day. And you know what? How many of us are entitled to have a bad day? And then maybe we could extend them a little grace that has been extended to us. If Christ said every time I said or thought something stupid, well, I don't know about this. John, I'm going to hold you to account for it. How does, how does Christ respond to me? He extends grace. It, there's not even a, how could you be so stupid or some type of rebuke that I receive? It's simply I receive grace. And when somebody does that within our community setting, can we just accept they're having a bad day and extend grace? And it's amazing how quickly, when we acknowledge they're having a bad day and extend grace, it's no big deal to us, we move on. Because, because we know where it's coming from. Um, there's one of my favorite Proverbs, is Proverbs 19.11. And it says this, good sense makes one slow to anger. So that's saying, Seeing what's really taking place, it's hard for me to get upset quickly. By just paying it, open her eyes and look around. Look around. They've got a lot on their plate. Oh, that makes sense why they should be short with me. It makes perfect sense. Or their parents have been in the hospital for 10 days. Oh, they should be a little frustrated. They should have a lot of fear. There should be a lot of anxiety there. They should be short with me. Because they don't have it. They, they've been, they're depleted. The next part of this is fantastic. Um, it's Proverbs 19.11. It says, And it is to, the, to his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory. To whose glory? This is not to Christ's glory, God's glory. This is to the, per the person who overlooks the offense. It's the only place in Scripture. And maybe you guys can do your homework on this. I have ever found that man receives glory apart from Christ. And I would say here, if he's doing this, he probably is in Christ. But it's not that we share in Christ's glory here. When I overlook your failing, Scripture says, it is to my glory. I receive glory for saying, oops, Allison had a bonehead day. I'm joking with Allison. There she'd smile at me. So, so could we do that? Could we accept it? But you know what? It was hurtful, but I'd like some glory today. Let's step over that mess and move on. How hard is that now? So, so you give him some grace, and what do you get? A little glory. And that, that's, I just love that, because I think within community, it, it's not only that we get the benefit of just extending a little grace, but literally, we receive glory. 
And that's pretty amazing to me. It tells you how important overlooking an offense is in God's eyes and how well he rewards it. Okay. The first things first rule. First things first. Um, the community is not about me. It is about Christ and living out a life with others that exalts him and blesses others. So if, if we think about when we join together, it's are they going to cook the right food tonight or, or why doesn't he do this or can't they have a better scheduled time for this fellowship or gee, why do I have to make this sacrifice? Wait a minute. This is about Christ. This is, this is about a holy God who died a sacrificial death to save me from eternal damnation. Oh, could I have a few minutes, Jonathan? Sure. When, when we know that, when we get it, when we see it, oh, that's easy. Imagine if God came down and said, can I have 15 minutes out of your day? I'll save you from eternal damnation in return. Oh, that would be easy. How about an hour, God? I have no problem. You know, when we see that, again, it's about Christ. And if we see a picture of who he really is, what does it do? It inclines us to let go of the grip of our schedule and of our wants and of, of what our needs are. And to say, no, this, this is about him. We can look beyond ourselves. So that's important, I think, the, the first thing's first rule. Um, there's my last rule, the pray, pray, pray rule. You got that? The pray, pray, pray rule. Um, I would challenge every couple, if you're married today, I would challenge you to be praying out loud together daily. Um, I would say for every person here, we should be praying daily for the spiritual material provision of Dale and Randy. There are elders here at Doxa. And if we're not praying, you don't... When these guys step forward, you know what, the, what, what happens spiritually? The size of the bullseye, the spiritual bullseye that Satan aims at, was tripled in size. Because if these guys can be undermined and attacked and, and disillusioned and, and overburdened, guess what? They can't do this to This endeavor will fail. And they are the leadership and if you're, I pray for Randy and Megan and, and Dale and Kedra. And when I'm really tired, and I'm going to extend this to you guys, if you're praying for Reagan and, Man, and, and Megan, call them Reagan, all right? So if you're too tired for two names, just Reagan. And we know it's Megan and Randy, okay? So that's cool with me. I'm cool. That's enough of that. Um, daily prayer and quiet time should be non-negotiable in our work. I love this. Charles Spurgeon said, think what you are going to ask for before you begin to pray. And then pray like businessmen. I thought that was fantastic. Let me read this again. Think about what you're going to pray for before you ask. So as we get quiet before God, God, what am I here to bring before you? What are my burdens? What are my needs? Where do I acknowledge you? How do I praise you? How do I thank you? And then go to town like you're running a spiritual Fortune 500 company. Because that's the type of God we serve. To say that, God, you are holy. You are mighty. And we are a part of this endeavor. This is an this is. This is, we are embracing today, here and now, on an eternal endeavor. Do we get that? The magnitude and the enormity that eternity, that, in the that our actions as a body of believers in the balance hangs eternity for the faith of son. And I know Christ gives, and Christ does the salvation thing, but we've got a role to play in that. Think of what you're going to ask for before you begin to pray, and then pray like businessmen. Have you ever heard somebody say uh, they're, they're struggling with something and they turn around and say, yeah, yeah, I'm really struggling and this is the problem. And I ask, have you prayed about it? You know how often I hear the answer no? And here's why I'm going to say this. 
is that unless we're willing to bring matters before God in prayer, we're not willing to have matters addressed. We can sit in our own misery and it gets comfortable, like a wet diaper. I hate to say that, but it's the little kids just sit there and they warm it up and then they're good. And then I don't need to change my diaper. I'm cool. And we do the same thing as adults spiritually. At least I have. I get Because the minute I'm willing to pray, I'm willing to say, God, I'll bring this before you and allow your provision and your favor and your plan to now take hold in my life. I have to yield to him. So, pray that as a community that we would have one heart and one soul. What a huge statement for us as believers in Doxa, that we would have one heart and one soul. You know, that, that person... That, that we met that we didn't like? No, I didn't like. You loved them. You're spiritual and happy and good and never make those, have those failings within yourself. You know, there's a lot going on with those people I don't like. And you know what I have found? One of two things is going on. Um, one is that they have some attribute in me and them that I hate. Need to say that again? That they have in themselves an attribute that I have in me that I hate. I see a reflection of something in myself that I don't like. There are other people that come here that, that are simply struggling, and I completely failed to grasp the depth of it. Uh, Grace was telling me, Grace met a friend recently at the coffee shop. 40-year-old woman from Afghanistan. Afghanistan. She was eight years old. She was outside her house, and the home that she lived in was bombed. And her father and three siblings were killed. No, mother and three siblings were killed. She was one out of seven kids. They moved over to Ukraine, and by her 15th birthday, the remaining three siblings and her father were also murdered. Do we have any, any clue? I know we have baggage here. I know you guys, and you know I have baggage. But do we have any clue about the hurt? about the suffering, about the struggle, and, and about the darkness in which envelops some people in humanity. And what I have found is that when, when you see those people and you embrace them and you love them, you find, you find so much hurt behind maybe a superior attitude or, or a self-righteous viewpoint or some fixed belief that I totally disagree with. That rubs me wrong. See, I've not lost a sibling or a parent. It's real easy for me to say, Jesus loves you. Wipe your family out. And see how much we rejoice that Jesus loves us. And I'm not saying I wouldn't say that. But I'm just saying that that's symptomatic of, of the level of hurt that is within people when they walk through the door back here. And that, if, that, it, that, that should be our expectation at Doxa. And you know what, when we, when we invite those people in and they become a part of this community and that we love on them and that we value them and that they are convinced that it's true, that they're valued and they're loved and that they have significance because they, they don't believe that. There's, if, you go out, if you go down the world and ask 100 people, answer the question truthfully, do you feel that you have significance? Do you feel that you have inherent value? And do you feel that your life is meaningful and it's worth something to this world? How many people can raise their hands and say, yeah, I feel that way? Because it's only in our identity in Christ that I receive that. 
And it's only through his grace that I was given the capacity to embrace it and own it and know it and profess it. Why do we love? John, 1 John 4.19 tells us we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 7 through 8 tells us this. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. The reality is that the mission statement of Christianity is to love as Christ loved us. That's it, in a nutshell. You could write to love as Christ loved us and close the book. We're good. We're done. I love it when people come to Jesus and they ask, for, ask him for questions. In, in Mark chapter 12, 28 to 31, the, there's an exchange between these scribes and Jesus. Scripture records, and one of these scribes came, to, came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus, he had answered them well. He asked, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And I would submit, I would submit that community is where the rubber hits the road. Now when you spill a drink on somebody's floor, or your kid's got a runny nose, it, or you you know, makes a mess that, that, that we see in the midst of our messiness that this is where we love and how we love. Um, just as Christ extended his love to us, so we are to extend love to the members of the community, to the people that God brings here. Um, if we can place ourselves before a holy God, we're, quote, unlovable. That's where we are before holy God. Or that makes, or Calvary was unnecessary, okay? I wish we could have, like, a, a banner over all of this, the unlovables. You know, that's us. We're the unlovables. Uh, like the untouchables, no, we're the unlovables. Uh, because the truth is we are. Apart from a holy plan of a God who sent his son to suffer, to be unjustly condemned, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be scourged, and then to be crucified, to express love to the unlovables. You know, those people, you know, those people I don't like, here's the joy. When we find those people, and we kill ourselves to find what we can love in them, I'm going to say this. You know, there are days that we're in a spiritual tug of war. And when we love those people, though the people that I have struggled most with in my life, that I have worked the hardest to care for, and I'll say this, I've met people in this room I felt that way about. That when I find what I find today is that I'm on a spiritual tug of war, and I'm struggling, and I'm holding on to that rope, and it's being pulled by the ways of this world. And I look over my shoulder, and you know who's anchoring the rope? One of those guys. One of those guys. God, how did you grow them and use them in that way? How did you equip them in such an amazing manner? Where did their joy come from? 
And you know that we are used as the tool to welcome, to love, to encourage, to support, and to disciple those people. And what you'll find one day when you wake up is you're being shot at and that person's covering your back. Or that they're taking a spiritual bullet for you. That, that's the essence. When we give, we get. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.